Welcome to Land on the Range. This pod will tell you what's what about land ownership and building wealth. This is for the entrepreneurs, the legacy makers, and the families creating a path living their American dream. Subscribe and follow me for speaking engagements. You can book me with the link in the comment section on this podcast. Just remember, the one thing they won't build more of is land. Let's connect and stay educated. Up next is Serena Bales. Serena has invested in real estate in Kansas City since 2013 with her husband and four kids. Investments vary from single families to commercial using financial strategies from creative to traditional to hold, flip, burr, or wrap. In 2018, she struggled to find an agent that understood real estate investing enough to find her their next investment property. Since then, Serena has strived to become the professional that other real estate investors can count on to help connect the dots for their real estate investing goals. Serena has served investors as a real estate agent. She's organized a local chapter of a nationwide real estate investment group called Invest Her and is continuously creating new ways to connect others in her industry. I am very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode, Serena Bales. Thank you, Serena, for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So glad to have you here. Now, we've chatted before about how this current market shortage has impacted buyers and sellers, but you focus on investors. And I know your phone is always blowing up with information about the latest and greatest deals available. I just had to have you on the show to answer some questions my listeners want to know and share your expertise so they can get to understand the world of investing a little bit better. Wonderful. Yes. Anything I can do to help. Well, I appreciate that. So one of the questions that they have is, what is the best way to get started? When it comes down to it, I always have to dig a little bit deeper into their personal situation. Sometimes it could be surprising and they may have things that they don't even know they can leverage already at their fingertips, like retirement funds and things like that. But usually it's something that has to do with liability. When people get started, I always recommend you live in the house that you start as an investment. So when you're looking at your first property, look at it as your first investment property. You work on it while you're living in it. So that way, when you make a mistake, you're going to be the one correcting it. You're going to catch it very quickly. And it's the best way to get started, I think. That is very true. I think so often some people, they move into the first home and they just see it in the lens of this is just mine. And they start, you know, doing some tinkering, they might repair something or improve with an upgrade or an add on, but seeing it from the lens of an investor that gets your mind thinking of what's next, you know, where does that end up leading people when they start thinking what's next? Yes, exactly. And you look at it with different eyes on renovating. Also, you're not going to say, what do I like? You're going to say, what is sustainable to this property? And it's a totally different view. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard people talk about, well, maybe I stay neutral, maybe I find a neutral palette of color or neutral countertop because the, they're thinking of the next buyer. But I think that's interesting that you chose the word sustainable. Can you go a little bit deeper about what that means? So sustainability is absolutely important when you have an investment property, because we want this asset to perform long term. And not just for us while we own it and we cash flow, but also when we sell it, we want this to perform. So when I talk to investors, we talk about the difference between lighting and ceiling fans. When you're turning a property into a rental, I think you should just have lighting. I don't think you should have ceiling fans for the main reason that most people will break those chains. And it's one more reason that you're going to have to go out there and you're going to have to replace it with another ceiling fan, not a light, because nobody is going to be happy with the light when they've had a ceiling fan. Why not just go through and put lights and it's one less call that you're going to be making, one less person that you're going to have to be paying to go out there and maintain that property. So it sounds like when someone shopping at Lowe's or Home Depot or supply chains for a ceiling fan. Are you suggesting that they look at the long-term value of something instead of the short-term gain? Correct. Even when it comes to exhaust fans and bathrooms, most people don't look at, should I connect that exhaust fan to a light switch? Or are there sensors that you can buy that can detect the moisture in that room and automatically come on? Mm. With COVID and where we're kind of moving and, and technology has changed so much, the idea of touching anything is really being questioned, where a lot of builders are coming in and just having those sensors. When you walk into a room, that's what trips the lights to come on instead of touching panels. Right. Actually, this detects the humidity in the room, because mm-hmm. if you have long-term humidity in any room, it causes mold damage weakness and drywall, things like that, anything that we don't want. And you can find them in the exact same places you would find a light switch in Home Depot. Mm -hmm. And how do you know if a product is going to be sustainable? Is it the cost? Is it, uh, is there a place to get reviews? How do we know? How would a consumer know I'm buying the product that's going to last me a while? That's a great question. And yes, I usually ask contractors or others that are in the industry using the products. To me, that's always the best way because if I ask someone that's in a different state, for instance, what kind of products they use, it could be completely different. I may not have accessibility to as many of the the types of products that they have, even within our own state, you know, Home Depot to Home Depot Mm -hmm. has different types of products on which ones they carry and what is most popular. And where, where would someone find some deals? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a lot probably on their minds is, hey, I've got a little extra cash here. I want to find some deals. How do I do that? And I would, again, say contact your local people that are doing it day in and day out. They're the ones that have the contacts. Or go to your your Facebook groups, your Mari groups, your local swap and shops, uh, offer ups. There -hmm. are some really great deals. People buy products and maybe they buy too much. Mm. and they're willing to get rid of some. And even if it's not the exact product you want, sometimes you can exchange it for the one that you're really looking for. So always keep that in mind. 
That reminds me, some uh, industries like service providers, plumbers, HVAC, sometimes they buy wholesale or have access when they remove an item that maybe was just fine, but for some reason someone needed to change an item out. Could they be a source to reach out to and ask if they have um, a water heater or an HVAC unit? Right. And even Habitat for Humanity, it's a nonprofit that's usually local. And you can go to and get really great products. That's great. And where would someone start to look for deals to purchase a property? So looking for a deal. And I was told this very early on in my own experience. You don't look for deals, you make deals. And actually, it's very, very true. Once you get into this and you do this for a while, and I'm giving you an example there's a large house in Blue Hill that we're about to close on. We listed it. And for someone that was going to rehab that property into a single family, price probably didn't make sense. And I heard that when I was showing the property to a couple of investors. You know what? With the rehab, this just doesn't make sense because they're looking at it as cash flow. What is the cash flow that they're going to get back if they renovate this house and make it into a rental? That's what they're mm -hmm. looking at. They had to change strategies. So I talked to one of them and I said, okay, so what if you made this into a duplex? It had already natural structural boundaries set into the house that could easily be transferred into a duplex. So we talked about that and they put an offer on the property because cash flow made sense as a duplex, not as a single family at that price. So you don't find deals, you make them. Exactly. And that was a great example of that. When somebody starts to dabble in the idea of, Hey, I, I want to invest. I want to, I want to do what other people are doing. How do they know when is a good time? Timing is whenever you are ready. That is the best time. There are closings happening all the time through any kind of market. And when it comes down to it, it is the relationships that you build. So if you find that you are ready now and somebody tells you, no, 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 it's not the right time. It's a seller's market. My advice is get out there and look. There are deals out there. Mm -hmm. There are people that are in situations that absolutely need to sell their home mm -hmm. and they need to sell it quickly and they need to sell it at a discount. And it could be you that gets right. it, but you have to get out there and you have to look and you have to talk to people. And I'm, I'm curious because there are some people that rent right now that have wanted to purchase a, their first home and they are now not able to this pressurized market and has the low inventory has kind of blocked them out of the opportunity. And there's been some discussion about, well, maybe it's not something they want to buy for their first home, but would they be interested in purchasing a, a smaller, maybe a bungalow or two bedroom home that they might want to invest in? Would you, they're renting themselves. Is that still something they want to go into and start building some passive income in a different direction? Absolutely. 100%. My husband and I, we both, before we ever got a mortgage on our primary residence, we already had two rentals prior to even having our own property in our name. Do what's best for you and whatever your situation is. And that's why I said, when talking to other people, I really dig into what your situation is and I find out what is the best strategy for you because it could be 
that your first property you ever buy is your first rental and your first cash flow. And I think that is exactly right for you. Yeah. And I think there's this image that when we buy, it has to be for us. That's our first one is for us. And when that lens shifts and they realize, wait, I'm not able to afford what I need right now. Is there other options? That's when, you know, this conversation can happen where, wait, there is other options. And my first purchase is going, maybe an investment property, a rental. Yeah. Right. Or even um, a lot of millennials are doing house hacking. They can afford a first house. They can afford a house um, that's even three to four bedrooms and two to three baths. They have wonderful income. Mm -hmm. And then they turn those properties into a house. They rent bedrooms. Mm. So while they're living there, they'll rent two of the bedrooms in the house at $550 a piece, and that will pay the mortgage and cash flow of the property. Mm-hmm. It's not a strategy for everyone, but mm-hmm. it's really worth thinking about. It's a lot easier to convert a garage for a loved one than it is to try to find affordable living right now. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think of some of the mega mansions that, you know, we can run into where the next generation is not interested in a 6,000 square foot home for themselves. And nor is someone who's retired either. They don't want the upkeep, the the West wing and the right wing kind of feeling of just, this is too much to clean. Uh, I'm going to close off or even heat or cool down. So there's the needs have really changed. Uh, So it provides opportunities to rethink some of these big single family homes. How can you convert them? I think that idea of what the millennials are doing is really interesting to be able to convert some of those homes. And it comes down to affordable living. Uh, We talked even briefly about 3D printing and there's a lot of need and discussion around vacant lots that you know we can buy up and and 3d print in about two weeks and have a home that is completely sound and structural and all up to building codes and everything uh for prices that we would have seen 40 years ago yes Absolutely. I appreciate your words of wisdom, Serena, so much. And thank you for your time today. And I'm very grateful for my listeners being able to understand a little bit more about the investing world. And for anybody listening, you know, in in the description, in the comments, uh, Serena will have all her information there. She is always available and so kind and generous with her information and just very wise about where she works with her clients and the information. So if you have an, ever have an opportunity to work with Serena, you are lucky. So thank you so much, Serena, for your time today. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Love this episode of Land on the Range podcast. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Join me next week for another episode. Thank you so much for listening.